Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to Strike Talk with Billy Ray and Todd Garner. Uh, we are uh, through another week of no negotiation from the AMPTP and the WGA. However, a, a couple of new things have, have um, uh, happened this week. Uh, the DGA is negotiating. They started negotiating on, on May 10th. And this week, uh, the SAG board voted 100% uh, to have an, a strike authorization vote go to the members. Um, they will start negotiating on uh, June 7th, and all the ballots have gone out, and that uh, closes at 5 p.m. on June 5th. And if those negotiations break down, uh, their contract expires on June 30th, and if they have a strike vote and strike uh, uh, negotiations uh, break down, then they potentially would go on strike on June 30th as as also the DGA is around that time, their contract expires, um, which leaves this very odd gap, uh, which Billy, uh, you and I will talk about um, after our in- incredible guest this week. So Billy, w- what have you been thinking about this week? Uh, well, I've been thinking about the strike uh, quite a bit. Um, and good morning to you. Um, here's here's some thoughts. In early 1942, Jack Warner had a problem. Um, business was good. Mary Melodies and, and Porky Pig were huge hits. Uh, but Pearl Harbor had recently been bombed. And many thought that Los Angeles uh, would be next. There, a primary L.A. target was a, a Lockheed plant that was very close to the Warner lot. Uh, bombers and fighters were being produced there. Someone told Warner that from the sky, the roof of the Lockheed uh, plant looked a lot like the rooftops of the sound stages on the Warner lot. Uh, never to be a target, Warner had his studio painters go up on the roof and paint a 20-foot-long arrow pointing at the Lockheed plant with the words, <laughs> Lockheed, that away. Um, this is true. Lockheed's workers, fellow Americans were busy building the, uh, the planes that would save the world and save Jack Warner um, from totalitarianism while Warner was directing the enemy's bombers to Lockheed's door. Um, significantly, Jack Warner was a founding member of the AMPTP. Um, at that same moment, 
The country's three biggest auto manufacturers were reacting differently to the crisis of war. The U.S. Army needed Jeeps, trucks, and tanks, so the War Department turned to the big three. The German Army's tanks, Panzers and Tigers, uh, were built by railroad companies, but not ours. America's tanks, the Shermans, were built by car companies, uh, which made them faster and lighter. Crucially, it also made them easier to repair. When German tanks broke down in the field, no one in the Wehrmacht knew how to fix them. But the Shermans, being more car-like, could be repaired by any mechanic. And every company had one of those. That's how America kept more tanks uh, in battle, a huge factor in winning the war. Of course, making all these vehicles uh, meant that the big three had to give up their core business for four years, which was making civilian cars. Combined, the big three produced just 139 cars uh, during the entire period of the war because the country had to be defended and the country mattered most, which for me raises the critical question of the strike. And it's what I want to talk to our guest about today. What obligation does a corporation have to the public at large? Does it owe something to the country that it sits in? Or is its only responsibility the pursuit of profit? Uh, Volkswagen answered this question emphatically in 2015 when it knowingly cheated on emissions tests to get its diesel cars to market uh, more cheaply, placing corporate profit over public good. Cigarette companies have knowingly killed Americans for decades and lied about it. The makers of the Sig Sauer uh, P320 handgun know that their weapon can self-discharge, in other words, fire without the trigger being pulled. They're being sued for it by the Milwaukee Police Association, but they've decided that it's more cost-effective not to fix the glitch. Purdue Pharma just about single-handedly created an opioid epidemic that crippled our nation and got rich doing it. Today, 80% of the opiates consumed in the world are swallowed by Americans. Fox News broadcast lie after lie about the 2020 election. As a result, today, just 12% of America's Republicans believe that Joe Biden got more votes in that election than Donald Trump did. The results of that were the deaths of January 6th, but Fox then lied about that too. This is venality as policy, greed as sole mission. It is public harm, sometimes public death, as acceptable. Um, collateral damage. In, during the pandemic, we saw greedflation, which was the raising of prices, not because costs were going up and not because uh, uh, laborers were getting paid higher wages, but simply because the companies wanted to profit more um, and took advantage. There are examples, of course, of corporate good out there. Patagonia is great on climate rescue. Uh, Levi Strauss does a lot to curb the spread of guns. Ben & Jerry's is a stalwart on social justice. Dr. Bronner's soap has a policy that its highest paid executive can only be paid five times more than its lowest uh, than its lowest paid worker. And no companies are more charitable than showbiz companies. Our industry gives a lot. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a corporation's essential DNA and how that impacts the American tapestry. Should it ever be obligated to resist its own impulses to engulf and devour? to squeeze employees, to cripple or consume competition, to optimize at any cost. America provides its corporations with workers, customers, open markets, and little to no tax burden. Do the corporations owe America anything in return? Ask any CEO this question and you'll get the same old dodge. We have a fiscal responsibility to our shareholders. Great. But today, 89% of the stock shares owned in this country belong to the richest 10% in this country. And the richest 1% in this country made over $6.5 trillion in paper wealth during the pandemic. So that argument leaves me feeling pretty cold. We're examining the greater good here. 
The U.S. operates at a yearly trade deficit, $945 billion just last year. We input, we import way more than we export. Products we used to make here are now flowing in the wrong direction. Do you know what we still produce and export better than any country on earth? Entertainment. And with it, America's vision of itself, which makes us the envy of the world. Kill that, and we're just a nation of consumers, Oxycontin, and guns about to go off. In short, I think we need capitalism to have a conscience. When it doesn't, someone has to step in. Labor, consumers, somebody. Significantly, Jack Warner got rid of the arrow on his rooftop only when the War Department told him to. Today, the Warner Empire is run by David Zaslav, who finds himself in a different kind of war, a fight for his company's economic survival in an acquisitions feeding frenzy. His ally in that war, ironically, is writers, creators of the economic engine that made Warner so rich in the first place. Writers need Warners to thrive or we die. His natural enemies in this war, just as ironically, are some of his partners in the AMPTP, tech companies that want to put him out of business. They're the actual existential threat to him, not us. They're the bombers overhead. So what is Aslov doing about it? He's painting a giant arrow on his soundstage roof that says, writers, bat away. Problem is, the bombs have already dropped and they're headed his way. And that's all, folks. Um, that is my Howard Beale moment for the week, although I guess I should call it my Rachel Maddow moment for the week since I so liberally stole her style and my thanks to Rachel for that. Well, Billy, that is a perfect segue to our guest today because this is not something that's happened just since D Discovery and Warners have merged. And this is not something that has happened just pre-pandemic. This is something that has been going on since the formation of the, the motion picture and television business. You know, as we talked about earlier, the executives and the guys who actually founded these companies, sometimes called writers, you know, uh, chimps with underwoods. And they always would try try to squeeze the writers, probably because they were they were most vulnerable and they felt more easily more easily replaced because you could didn't have a face to the writer necessarily and directors were in were in such short supply even though they did try to make uh, kind of an assembly line even out of even out of that but it's great that we have our next guest today uh, Bill Mechanic is a legend in the movie and television business holding various executive and producer roles throughout his storied career. Bill began his career as vice president of pay TV and post theatrical at Paramount Pictures and then moved to Disney in 1984, where he built its home video units into a powerhouse division, which dwarfs any of the competition at the time. At Disney, Mechanic rose to president of international distribution and worldwide video, where he oversaw international theatrical worldwide home video and worldwide pay television. From there, Bill moved to Fox in 1984 and became the chairman and chief executive officer of Fox Filmed Entertainment where he was responsible not only for Fox's home video activities, but for production, marketing, distribution, international theatrical activities, and pay TV. During his tenure, Fox had the number one grossing films worldwide in 1995 through 1997 with Die Hard with a Vengeance, Independence Day, and of course, Titanic. As a result of his leadership in 1998, 20th Century Fox was the number one studio in worldwide box office gross revenue. And during his reign at the studio, he produced six of the top 10 grossing movies of all time and six of the top 10 selling live action videos, both domestically and internationally. In June 2000, Bill embarked on the path of being a producer and has since produced seven, several motion pictures and television series, including the Academy Awards and Hacksaw Ridge. At present, Bill serves on the board of 
counselors for USC's School of Cinematic Arts and the board of BFI South Bank, as well as having served on the board of governors of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists. Welcome to the podcast, Bill Mechanic. Thank you. <laughs> I got it. So Bill, as Billy points out, there is this um, weird duality at the moment <clears throat> where the WGA's data says that the studios and streamers have made $5 billion of profit, yet at the same time, these studios and streamers are laying off incredible amounts of their of their workforce, claiming that the streaming has really dragged them into a, a, a prolific loss period. You have been on deep, deep, deep on the other side of this. Where do you come out feeling uh, in terms of this, you know, these kind of competing stories? Okay, so off of, Bill, off of Billy's uh, intro, the when he was talking about Jack Warner and the and the Arrow, um, when I was running Fox, we made a movie called The Siege, which talked about uh, an Arab cell, um, a, a terrorist cell. The, the terrorist cell was going to come from America, not from overseas necessarily. Uh, and we we got all sorts of threats, death threats. I got bomb threats and you know and things like that and. So I decided what I wanted to do was paint an arrow on Rupert Murdoch's office. <laughs> if you want to do good in the world, killing me ain't going to help you. <laughs> Even though I was following in a in a in a legendary footpath, but uh, there you go. Um, in terms of like the the you know there's so many things that are you're raising in by your question, Todd. The, you know, when I ran the studio, I always, you know, I, you know, in studios, Disney, you know, really where I had the seat of power for the first time, the, you know, there we would, you would get the edicts to come down of cutting personnel, you know, cutting costs, doing things like that. I always felt it was better for the top managers, the executives to cut 5% or 10% of their salary, which wouldn't make a shred of difference. And save thousands of jobs, because the trade-off is is you know you're you're firing your cheapest labor and you're not doing anything to the most expensive labor. It's the same thing in the strike of these these companies are you know the I looked at it, you know today the the market cap on on Apple is two point seven six trillion dollars, Amazon one point Two billion trillion dollars. Netflix, one hundred and sixty-two billion dollars. Comcast, one hundred and seventy-one billion dollars. Disney, one hundred and sixty-seven billion dollars. Sony, one hundred and twenty-five billion dollars. The the scale of of profitability is is out of whack. The problem for this, you know, for the writers or for talent in general is. You know, when you talk about Jack Warner, what I always liked about the days that I read about in books, you know, when I, you know, I studied film history, uh, you know, as a, as a film student, the, the people who ran the company, they were, they weren't all very good people, as you're, you're pointing out, but what they were was dependent on their movie business and later the television business to make any kind of profit and continue 
you know, raising money for the next year. And the problem for this this strike or a strike in general, if, if it's joined by other guilds, is you hit you're a you're a, you're a, a pimple. You're you literally if you stopped all the production at at um, Apple, it would still be worth two point seven six trillion dollars. If you stopped it at Comcast, it would probably you know it would drop some, but it wouldn't drop appreciably. There are very few content companies left that are totally dependent on what you what they make and what they present to the public for their profitability, and that's what you have to address. When you were doing the job and you said that you would rather the top executives shed their uh, 5% of their salaries as opposed to, you know, getting rid of a lot of lower um, income workers. Do you think that the reason, one of the reasons that the studios prefer the latter is it's a better look to Wall Street that look what we're doing, we're making all these sacrifices, we're getting rid of bodies, we're showing that we're fiscally responsible, we're tightening the belt to show Wall Street, you know, we're a serious business because there is this idea that there is not really an annuity in our business, which is why we all chased after the subscription model is because you could point to some sort of quarter over quarter growth and uh, it would be more stable? Or do you think that this is a real thing where you they needed to shed all these workers because they were in serious trouble due to the streaming losses? You know, I've run two companies essentially in, in or extremely large parts of companies. The um, There's always some, you know, you, uh, you build legacy jobs Sometimes there's an overlap because as you add new jobs, you're not taking out old jobs, so you're not you're not freshening the water, sort of. But the basic answer to your question, you know, Todd, is that is that it's it's playing it's like Trump. It plays to it plays to a public that wants to hear something. Wall Street investors, because this is all about Wall Street, it's all about you know what the valuations of the companies are. You know, you think anybody in Wall Street cares about what somebody else is making? They're they're making bigger prof, bigger uh, salaries, and profitability. They're buying baseball teams and football teams, and everything else in the world. They don't give a shit about anybody other than themselves. Um, so the when you say you know Disney, we're 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 killing seven thousand jobs, that fits right into it. You're, they don't care about the country. They care about their profitability and even more so almost always more about what they're making. You know, you haven't seen one executive from one company even suggested I'm talking about cutting a bit of their salary. Netflix capping, you know, is 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 um, slowed in growth or stopped in growth. And yet the you know the you know the league guys are making fortunes, you know Bob Iger, who I think is very good at what he does, but Bob Iger running Disney is cutting 7,000 jobs. He didn't cut what he's making um, what he, when he came back as the CEO of Disney. You don't see it from one single company. Again, what I come back to is the question, does a corporation owe anything to the country that it sits in, to the public at large? In a place like America, 
where country where where companies are afforded an educated and healthy workforce, uh, unlimited amounts of customers, completely open markets, and right now little to no tax burden. Does that company owe the country anything, or does it just owe? Uh, its own shareholders. What What is your position on that? And has your position changed um, since you ran those two companies? It, it, it has. I mean, you know, you, you see it. I saw it even when I was on the other side. I think the only way to, to do a job is to see both sides and understand what you're dealing with. You know, that you're not, you know, if you want to, if you want resolution of things, you can pick battles or you can pick solutions to battles. So, um, do I think any? Do I think the 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 job of running a company has anything to do with the good of the country? I would say no. But let me. I can maybe I can bring it back to my attitude when I was running Fox in particular. Was my job was to make money, it's pure and simple. I wasn't hired for any other fucking reason other than that, right? Um, my goal was to make good movies. So I felt when I did my job right. I made good movies that made money. I think that applies to the same thing you're talking about in terms of the country. Your job isn't to do something for the country, but it is if if you can do something good for the country while you're still doing your job, then isn't that the better goal? But let me just piggyback on that. Um, does that mean that if your job is to make money, that that means to do your job, you have to squeeze employees, cripple or consume competition. Um, in other words, do things that will create hardship for individuals in the name of uh, expanding market share and optimizing profit. Um, d- does, does that fall under the umbrella of my job is to make money? No, it, the bigger problem to me, the biggest problem of everything in our industry, and it's, I think it's true in politics, it's true probably in every industry, but I don't have ex- experience in other businesses, is is there's a lack of leadership. So, you know, do, is anybody running in politics that gives a shit? Probably not, other than themselves. So do you, you know, it's stupid people or selfish people maybe is a better term for it. Selfish people dealing with things in the most simplistic way possible, not looking for how do I get a better result that does gets what I want but still gets the whoever I'm dealing with something as well. Yeah. Let me ask the question in a slightly different way. <clears throat> um, with those insanely huge valuations, a very minute movement in stock price really has a much more dramatic effect than even the total value of the strike. So if we if we look at 2007, 2008 as a totality of the cost of the strike, which went 100 days, there are estimates that it cost $3 billion to the economy. If you're a $3 trillion company and your stock moves a dollar, that obfuscates all of the total of that loss. So do you think that this strike plays to Wall Street? Like, is this the, the studios and the streamers saying to Wall Street, no more, we're not 
to, to, to use Billy's phrase, we are ardent capitalists. We are not socialists. We are going to take the hard line against these unions. Look what we're doing. Give me a dollar of share price <laughs> increase. No, no I, I think they probably are doing some version of that, you know, of saying, you know, and you hear it in all the public statements. No, it's not going to affect us. We, we protected ourselves. The, the purest content play um, company is Netflix. They don't have any other business. Hmm. So at some point they may be deeply healed and they have, but they're the, they're the, almost the, it's a different way of looking at what you're talking about, Billy. Their value to, what was it? Um, $162 billion is, you know, like tech valuations is not based on profitability. It was based on growth and their growth is stopping. Um, and their, you know, their, all their growth for the last three years, I believe, is all overseas. And 50% of their money now, I read, is going to production overseas. So they may be saying they're well stocked with product so they can withstand the strike. But at some point, that's just not true. You know, as it's not true for any content company that you're, you know, you're, you may last for a few weeks or a few months. Um, but at some point, you're going to go dry, and people, if you, if you um, got all your customers based on new content every week, and you don't have it, you're going to get hit. That stock hit is going to hit Netflix quicker than it will hit Disney. You know, so they're raising, they're they're defending what they do by, you know, cross savings. Wall Street doesn't give a shit about them either, so. Wall Street gives a shit about Wall Street. So you will have at some point, you know, the, the problem is how long does it take? Um, you will have an effect. Netflix being a pure content player and probably being the most important company in terms of what's, what I'm reading about the strike then is is it will get hit on that, so its valuation when it's not getting new product. So... The, the the I believe Wall I believe the strike if it if it if it goes on too long will absolutely be decided by Wall Street it won't be decided by what's right and what's wrong one more thing which is the bigger problem for the strike and is uh, regardless of whether W uh, DGA or SAG all the SAG has um, will have I think always is, has a big say in this stuff is that these companies are so um, diverse in structure with diverse interests that you can't go to me and say, what do you think? And I go, well, shit, yes, better for us to settle this thing and, you know, spend a, a billion dollars than lose $3 billion. That's just a, you know, you would, you would, at some point, somebody's rationality, when there's a unity of interest, is is going to win out. We don't have, you know, there's a lack of leadership. As I said, so I don't know, other than Bob Iger, if anybody can walk into that room and, you know, get a consensus. But I don't think anybody can walk in a room that has, you know, you know, Apple's not in it, but, you know, that has, you know, all these varied interests and say, this is what we should do, guys. And they're going to say, you know what? We can withstand it. We don't, you know, 
mere fraction of a mere fraction of a fraction of of what builds our value. I don't know how you solve that simply other than dividing and conquering. Well, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon as the AMPTP has, you know, been united in their in their responses or lack of responses. Yeah, but that won't hold. They, they, they're united because they have to be united. Um, you know, it's picking them off. It's how do you, how do you divide and conquer? Because I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's a unified response. I'm sorry. When you're going through a negotiation like this, um, whether you were at Disney or or at Fox, and 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 you went through labor negotiations with both, how much contact do you have? with your labor people who are actually in the room while the negotiations are going on, how aware are you of um, how the room is feeling or turning? Um, How much contact, how much direction are you giving your labor people as they go in there every day? And how much are you talking to the other CEOs to monitor what's going on? Uh, I was probably more you know, um, probably less embedded in everybody else, you know, in, in relationships with everybody else. Um, I always felt, and this is true of almost everything that involved in the business, your business and movies to me, the business was defined by your stupidest competitor. So you're sitting in a room with somebody who's off in some, you know, like that's a crazy term, right? You got a strike. You're shutting down. You're costing three billion dollars, whatever it is. You're, you know, you're you're doing damage to yourself. You know, you're doing damage to your your basic business. You're hurting almost everything else alongside of it. There's collateral damage, damage right and left, and somebody's sitting there holding on a point that you can't get rid of. Very hard to have somebody. That's back to leadership. Who's got the voice? And it has to be somebody who has the voice. You know, you don't have Lou Wasserman. You don't have, you know, Jeffrey's not doing it anymore. You know, Bob Daly's not doing it. So who's got enough of a voice to be able to walk, to not walk into the room? Because if you walk in the room, you're never going to get done. To be on the phone or be in a restaurant or be in wherever it is, convince somebody who's, or convince enough people that are holding out to agree to the common good. I don't know. Who, that's, who do you think that? That's, who do you think that would be right now? I mean, if you had to get, would it be Netflix? Who 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 has the most leverage at in the AMPTP right now? Do you think? Um, who has the voice? I think I would think Iger um, probably has the the. It's not a loud voice, but probably has the respect of enough people and the size to. Um, affect something i think what what netflix does probably has more to do with whether how the strike gets settled right you know, so you, it's two different answers yeah and Iger right now is under a lot of pressure because he has been in a position now where he's having to cut so many jobs to get to a place where his stock comes back mm-hmm. but that puts pressure again the, the only thing you have, I mean, the weird thing, Billy, as a writer particularly, is it's, a, it's a, and Todd, you've said it too, it's a business built on writers, built on writing. You can't make anything without a, without 
essentially what's the content what who's what is it and how good is it and um but you know it's the thing that's it's disregarded the most um so i do you know bob bob i if bob got bob Iger doesn't get things if, if there's a strike that starts to affect disney in any way and starts affecting the strike it, it becomes his sole interest as much as dealing with um the idiot in florida okay so here's a question that um feels important uh to the writers that I see on the picket lines every day. Um, what do companies actually think about writers? And what do companies actually think about the Writers Guild? In other words, when you are sitting in at one of those dinners with another CEO, um, you guys are competitors, but you're also colleagues and friends. And, and you know that a negotiation is about to start with the WGA. Is the thinking, oh, the fucking WGA, what are they going to ask for this time? Or is there a sense of, hey, these people are important to our business. We got to make the best deal possible, but we want to keep the industry moving. Uh, in most strike, in most cases, I think it's probably, unfortunately for you, the latter, the former. You know, the writer skills is one of the, the most difficult ones to deal with. Um, Thank you. You always know you, you have a competitor. Uh, the I think in most strikes that you know when when I was either around the circumference of it or in the center of it were were about small dollars and cents to me that there shouldn't have been a strike, you know, and it shouldn't last. You know, I think you're at a inflection point. I think you missed it. I think the studios, you know, the the media companies blew it. And I think all the guilds blew it in allowing somebody who needed you streaming a new business to start up under the wrong rules when it didn't, when they would have given you anything and you didn't give a shit enough or couldn't see the future enough to um, ask for it. Well, tell me what that means because I mean, to me, the strike of 2007, 2008 was about that. It was about the guild knowing that streaming was going to be a big deal and wanting to make sure that we were covering it. Um, so, so can you go a little deeper on that? Well, you didn't do it. You didn't do it very well then. I mean, because we didn't get enough of it. The rules of, uh, of, uh, engagement, you know, the, the, you know, everything, everything seems to me that's in the, that I'm reading about this strike is, is something that should have been covered at that in that that in 2007 if that's the year um you know you you it's you, you could have gotten anything you wanted when i left when i left fox i left fox in 2000 um and i gave i was advising a little bit on netflix because they couldn't get product i had fox and i don't know what happened if they ever did it got 10 percent of netflix netflix stock they didn't and they gave it up when I was at Disney, I got half of Sky when Sky was starting up, and they gave it up. Uh, you had the same ability to get everything you want now done when there was there would have been no fight. And now you've lost all the power to do that. Now you have to fight for it, and you're going to pay a price yourself. I would push back on that, Bill. I, I think by the metrics that matter, 
um, the Guild took up a very righteous fight in 2007, 2008 and won it. Um, at the beginning of that uh, work stoppage, the companies told us that we had no right to any profit participation of anything having to do with the internet. Um, we went on strike and we won that. We didn't get everything we wanted. I think that's largely because while we were on strike, uh, a sister guild, the DGA, of which I am a member, went in and negotiated a deal, um, which created a pattern which we were then forced to accept. Um, I think when this whole thing is over, we have to have a, a much bigger conversation um, about how guilds work together instead of working to uh, undercut one another. And I look forward to being a part of that. And what, and we got to be respectful of your time. And thank you so much, Bill, for, for coming on and, and talking to us. In this last couple of minutes, where do you see now that we are in this place and now that they are entrenched and in fact, Netflix has become one of the biggest players in the business and they did grow from the growth uh, narrative. And now the entire industry is being looked at in terms of profitability. Where do you see, how do you see the best way to end this quickly? Well, I don't think this quick. So I'd say you, you, you better, it's like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to make a facetious thing. It's not like Ukraine because they're fighting for their lives, but you're in a longer fight. So you have to steel yourself to um, fix the future when you didn't fix it from the past. I believe this is a, the only way this ever gets done is is waivers. You can do it. You've got to pick the lowest hanging fruit. You've got to pick content companies. You've got to get independent producers into production so that you're 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 feeding people who you want fed and not feeding people who you don't want fed. Um, I think with AI, you know, you need penalties put in there because you're it's the studios aren't you know the media companies aren't aren't going to fight terribly hard on it, but they're not the ones who probably will abuse AI. I think producers will abuse AI. And How do you mean? Independent, a cheap. Well, if I'm if I'm if I'm a producer of action pictures, AI at some point can write the script because I'm not looking for originality. Studios, even when they're not run run well, are trying to make the best movie. Before. So, I don't think the I don't think you know, will will media companies, big media companies, look for the, look for um, this the same. You know, Marvel could do this, could take it and do the same movie time after time. They're you know they're hiring, I think, very good people to try and different differentiate their stories. Um, I think studios generally do that. I think television companies generally do that. I think independent producers don't generally do that. The best do, but the worst don't. And that's that's probably a bigger AI problem than than the broader spectrum. So you have to make it you have to make it a matter of economics. But I would tell I would get I get waiver deals going now. I wouldn't I wouldn't wait. I would divide and conquer. I don't think there's any other way to settle. All right. So one last thing, Bill, um, before we let you go. Um, you have seen lots of labor strife 
you, you've been at this a while and you've, and you've now been through a couple of different strikes, not all WGA strikes. Um, do you believe in this strike? Do you believe that the writer's cause is righteous? Yeah, I would say for the first time, I, again, I, I said it earlier, I think it's a, you know, there's an inflection. This is an inflection point on the future. Um, I think the, these, this is the fundamental changes that have to happen um, for talent, and that's whether it's writer, director, or an actor, maybe producers, but uh, certainly on, on the three main guilds, I think. I would jump in and say absolutely producers. Yes, yes. absolutely. I've worked with a lot of very, very talented <laughs> I mean, producers. To me, this, is, this is the first strike that I would say is wholeheartedly on the side of, of what you're fighting for. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for coming in and, and, and talking to us. Obviously, there's a lot to to dissect here and not always the, the best news or, the, or in this very, very, very trying time. So we very much appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. All right. Well, certainly a lot to uh, digest there and talk about. And and one thing that really struck me, and this is something, Billy, you and I have, we're, we're going to talk about on this episode as well, is just the, you know, what you talked about with the DGA and SAG and what Bill talked about, how the AMPTP has said, you know, they've, they've protected themselves. And, and again, I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to talk about all of the sides of this issue and the complexity of the issue and have it not just be a, a writer's uh, a podcast. And so there is an issue that has come up for me um, and that I want to talk about with you because I feel like I, I, I need to be honest about it. And so, um, look, when I started this podcast, I, I, I wanted you to be on here because I love your point of view and I, and I love having the point of view of a, of a very writer-focused um, person who really has the interest of, of the Writers Guild at heart. And so full disclosure, uh, I am starting a movie in the summer. I am contractually obligated to to do this movie. I mean, look, putting aside that I love the movie and I and I and I love the franchise, um, I am contractually obligated to to go do this movie. Um, and the start date was set nine months ago. Um, we have absolutely followed all of the WJ rules and will continue to do so. The writer that wrote the movie was pencils down at midnight. We none of us have spoken to this writer. We will not. Uh, break any of these rules. The, the director is just the, is just DGA, and then we have obviously a number of of, of SAG actors. Um, and so, the DGA and SAG specifically is very interesting because they have actually said, and and in their and in their um, laws say, if you are contracted to work on a project that continues production while the WGA is on strike. You are legally obligated to can you continue working by your professional services agreement and the no strike clause in our collective bargaining agreements. So, Billy, I absolutely support the WGA. Obviously, I wanted to do this with you. I, I'm I'm committed to try to end this as as fast as humanly possible. There are families that have writers and producers in the same family, or writers and actors and writers or directors in the same family, where one member may be striking the other because of their union laws or their contractual obligations or both are going to work. And I don't want to say forced to go to work because we're all in this business and we love doing it, but contractually legally obligated to do so. Uh, beyond all of that, I am gutted by this. It has been 
uh, I've had a lot of sleepless nights and, um, I feel terrible. So therefore, when this, uh, if uh, this does come to pass that the strike, as Bill just said, is, is going to go a, a long time and I, and I go and do this, I, I will step aside from this podcast because I don't personally feel morally uh, it's right for me to talk about something publicly when I'm actually uh, on, a set, on a set working. So um, with that said, that's, that's my rant for today, Billy. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate um, uh, the bind that you're in. And I, I do want to say something about it. Um, I, I, when you first brought this up to me, um, what I immediately thought about was that incredible moment in the Bourne identity um, when, when Bourne is, is in that horrible fight um, with that other uh, assassin. And, and the line is, look what they make us do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I feel about it. Wow. This is not a strike against you. This is not a strike against producers. We're, we're going against the companies and look what they make us do. Um, look at the, look at the decision that they have forced upon you. You have to render services that's in your contract. So your choices are a support the writers and get sued or B, um, go off and make your movie and feel terrible. Um, <laughs> That's, that's a tough spot. Yeah. And and if you go back and listen to um, episode one of the podcast, one of the first things that I said was, I think producers are in a really tough spot right now. I think a lot of people are. Um, I have some bigger picture thoughts about how to make sure that that never happens again. Um, I personally believe uh, that there should be one union. I think yeah. it should have writers, directors, and producers yeah. in it, and actors. Yeah. Um, and anyone else who wants to join because then strikes would last about two days. Yeah. Hey, Billy, um, can I just interject really one want- thing? Can I just, I'm sure. sorry. Thank you so much. I, I, and I appreciate you, you, you saying that. Cause I, I, I'm, I've, it's, has been very emotional for me. So um, I feel like <clears throat> this isn't as insane to me <clears throat> as if the NFL had an offensive union, a defensive union and a special teams union, like, it, the defense just would not just be the only people going on strike. Like the, the, we are in this together. And what's happening is there is this feeling, and I've had it in my heart, that I'm somehow on the other side of this, and I'm not. And 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 I know that all of the producers I talk to, all of the actors, all the directors, we absolutely support everything that's happening in this strike. And it's so important that people get paid fairly. And it's it's fucked man it's really fucked it's very very tough and and look uh, i believe first of all for producers not to have a union for independent producers not to have a union is just criminal and um i i see it all around me now um just how desperately that's needed and and that's a conversation when this strike is over that i really would like to have um I would love to have producers become part of the WGA. I think I think those two groups could do a lot for each other. Um, when I was at uh, when I was on in Guild Leadership, I couldn't get the WGA and the DGA to have a picnic together. Um, and I'm in the DGA. Uh, it, there, there's just some institutional friction there that is uh, pretty breathtaking. And uh, and and I know where it comes from, and and uh, it's got to be addressed. Uh, because ultimately, um, these are issues that are going to affect all of us. AI is going to come for all of us. 
Um, and I come back to that question that I posed at the beginning of this hour, which is what is the responsibility that a corporation has to its country and to its people? And Bill Mechanic, who's a really nice guy, said to us, none. It doesn't have any. Its obligation is to make money. Okay, fine. That's how they, that's, that's what they believe. That's clearly how they behave. Um, well, then we better gather together, all of us, writers, producers, directors, actors, um, because the, the forces that are aligned against us are enormous and we're going to need each other. Yeah. And, and the DGA and, and SAG are, are, are in it too. I mean, we're all, there's, there's a lot of us and even, even IATSE, they sent out an email saying, Hey, you need to report to work. Now, granted in that union, they can opt not to cross the line, but the next sentence is literally, however, you will be replaced, not fired, but replaced. And so again, in the way that the AMPTP has managed to figure out a way to all work together despite their massive differences of legacy companies versus tech companies, I just hope there's a way that in the future we can figure this out as just the, the, the players and the workers of this, of this business that we love and preserve it, preserve it for, the, for the future. So I appreciate, I appreciate you and I appreciate you doing this with me. And I, and I do appreciate the, the insane position I put myself in. <laughs> uh, look, you're, you're going to get flamed for sure. Um, I would suggest that you don't read the comments on deadline um, for the next couple of weeks. Look, uh, I would say to all the people who work in our business, we are each other's answer. Um, this, this circumstance is perfect proof. Um, let's depend on each other. Let's trust each other. Let's lean on each other. Um, let's make each other better. Let's make each other uh, encouraged. Please join us next week when our guests will be President Franklin D. Roosevelt and Dorothy Parker. And as always, uh, a big thanks and shout out to our producer, uh, in this case, uh, Shane Whitaker. 